Earlier this year, an extraordinary chapter in Australian race relations quietly drew to a close with the end of the Northern Territory emergency response. In 2007, the federal government rolled out that policy, which became known as the intervention, that suspended the Racial Discrimination Act, took over town camps with compulsory leases, stopped the community-controlled permit system, introduced welfare quarantining and the basics card, sent in the army and introduced star chamber powers for the police. The policy was continued for a further 10 years under the Stronger Futures legislation introduced by Labor under Minister Jenny Macklin. Throughout this period, community advocates across the Northern Territory have spoken out about these policies and their negative impacts on their lives. As the recent publication by the Intervention Rollback Action Group in Mbantua, Alice Springs, the truth about the NT intervention notes that even though the Stronger Futures legislation has now been sunsetted, many of its provisions remain in other pieces of legislation. And as Auntie Elaine Peckham has said, just because the intervention is finishing, it's still here, the damage is done. To mark this continuing protest against the policies of the intervention, we are revisiting some of those strong voices. These community elders warned that the policy was not protecting women and children, but instead had no impact on school attendance, increased child removal and incarceration rates, particularly for juveniles, increased suicide rates, and led to an undermining of community-led responses. I think the first thing that I need to talk about is uh, when they brought the intervention to us, um, we were flooded with army, with the police, and with those social guardia workers who actually came along and um, gave us what we needed to do. And watching that things happening, there were things happening, and every time we were tight, we were tight down because we could not move a muscle, we could not do a thing about all these things that, that the intervention brought to our attention. So really... To us, it was, it was frightening for the whole community to have these Korea, the army, the police there at the same time. And also, they've also built $7 million police station. $7 million police station. That money could have gone to our community, our needs, to our children, to our programs that we needed so badly, so badly. And that seven million was built for Korea. And what's for us? What they given us? They given us seven million dollars a police station. And that money, it's not I think it's not well rested to Korea, to us especially, and um, left us with emptiness and sadness and trauma. We as a community right across the Central Australia, as well as to the top end, Queensland, South Australia, we would like to say this, and I would like to say this on behalf of my community, as well as many other communities, we want to say, we want justice. We do not want guns to be worn in right across the Central Australia WA top end. We do not want guns because it terrifies us. Because we don't know who's coming around that corner. We don't know. And that's why we want justice and we do not want guns to be worn. 
Thank you, everyone. And hope we, we as Yapa, you know, Koreas out there, that should listen to us. We always talk about young people and we talk to them and to be steady, 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 because of what is happening right now, you know, in Central Australia, now it's ringing in the mall. To our young people, we say to them, look, we calm. The day that that young fellow was taken away, everybody wanted to burn the police station. And we were we were, we were frightened ourselves because we were, we were, no, 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 that's not going to happen. Just be calm. Let it go. So we're teaching our people, our young men and girls, to respect our culture and to respect Korea's culture, even though they don't, you know, they don't do it the other way. But we do that because we feel that we don't want to be looked at. Yapa always are mad. You know, they're crazy. They don't listen. They want to wreck everything. No. That night was a very special night. Everybody was calm. They wanted to burn that station, police station. They wanted to burn it. But uh, some of our elders was there. Harry Nelson, Eddie Robertson, and a few others were there. And uh, we, we told them, no, let it go. So we want to control our community. The intervention took our rights, they left us empty because um, they think it's best that to, you give away your culture and you know, don't worry about it. No, that's not true. God has given us Chokorupa. When I say Chokorupa, dreaming, glory, he's given that to us. And we want to maintain it, not to lose it, but to keep it for our children's children. Keep it strong so that we can continue teaching, learning the country and the Chukurpa. That's what we want to do. So we want our rights back. We want to be able to control our community in our way. My name's Elaine. As you all well know, I, I grew up in Alice Springs in the early 50s and the struggles that we've been going through for many years with the intervention. And I was actually out on my homeland in 2007, when the intervention was put upon us. And from that day on, I have not stopped speaking out about what the, how devastating the intervention had done to us and where we are today, still speaking out about it. And it just happened that day when I came into town. I didn't know about the intervention. I hadn't even heard on the radio at home. I went around to my son's place and I was looking after one of my grandchildren while my son was going out bush. And he said, he came home that afternoon. He says, Mummy, he said to me, you better go down and check about your settlement payments. And I said, my son, Farron, I'm doing everything right. I'm getting my rent taken out of my pension and things like that. And he said, Mum, Mum, things are changing. The government has changed all that now. And I said, oh, okay, I will do that. I said, I'll go down tomorrow. And on that day, going down to Centrelink, change my, not change, but mainly stop and think, is this really happening to us? Being in there, in that room at Centrelink and um, looking around and seeing all our people standing up in the line like a mom of our cattle, like you look out on when you're out on the station going for a drink of water. Yeah, I just couldn't believe that this is happening. That's how... It came about. So I had my interview with them that day and I they had this computer set up in language and I said, you could take that away. I said, I can speak English very well. I went to school and got my education. Well, I 
if you've heard, we have got a strong grandmother's group in Central Australia. We have been working very hard. We don't get any government support. It's all voluntary work that we're doing, helping those kids on street and at least having time to be able to say and talk to them and hear what they've got to say. But with the intervention, when we had to do all the, the workshops on how do we see it and how, how it affected us, especially people out on those communities, a lot of our people have never had the chance to have an education like us in, in our Springs. And out of that, I uh, called it my Central Australian Strong Women's Alliance. I did all my training in Canberra because I wanted to know about the legality of all that before I can um, actually set myself up. Not set myself up, but the younger generation to come behind us and let's be that voice. So I did, and uh, first I started out doing the Fred Hollows Foundation, and then I did the National One Oxfam. And that gave me the ability or the strength to say, yes, we still have our voices. Nothing has taken that away from us. No matter what they do or how they do it, our voices are there, still there. Yeah, and even now with the grandmothers we've set up, we want to feel that we're there for all of the children out on the street and stop getting them from getting hurt. Want them to have a life that they can have children of their own and be for their own children and not go through what we had done with older ones with the intervention. I was on one of the communities when the intervention came through during that time, watching, and it came right in, in front of me. And I was there when the first wave of police, army, no force arrived, and I sure it all happened. I even went and offered my assistance to try and help, which that then we were all not sure what the good thing was going to be coming out of this intervention. People thought it was time to build our communities and make it stronger and, and as a prosper a future for our people. That's what everyone was all excited about in our communities, watching everything coming onto land. But then uh, we started off uh, helping out, and I stood there in between the people in the community and the government or the, or the intervention and did a interpreter service. When in 2007, they came and uh, the children that we had then was well behaved and had a good discipline and health checks were done in a, a movable, the hospital type um, tent that they brought in and built next to the, the community health center that was there already. So we helped them and there were checks done with the teenagers. They were all at this stage, were looking at 15 years or 16 years older kids. And there was not much or no active STs or sexual active in the communities. It was because the children were living in communities that were really well behaved and our elders had power and strength and knew what to do and how, how to look after our young people. And then I saw negative changes happening. Our elders, senior leaders, parents, and everyone had been undermined and told they were not doing the right thing their way. Everybody seemed to be in confusion that we started to 
be impacted by what had hit us through this intervention that came through. And people were really confused and children could start talk back, swear back at parents and seeing unusual things happening to our children. And that was the outcome of this intervention that came through. People started to enroll, brought in and was signed in for work for the doll. CDP used to work on homelands and in communities were projects that used to run. But everybody, the government then through intervention said everybody needs to come in and sign in to what they call work for the doll. And when they came in, all our countrymen came in and said, this is my certificate, which I gained during while I was working in, in communities through the land community council and the local government and how things were going. We have been doing an apprenticeship and people said, I have a certificate, which I'm a qualified plumber working here, a tradesman. Some of them were working in administration in offices. But through intervention, they said, you won't be needing this. You need to sign up another form with the Centrelink here and to achieve white card, then call white card or a yellow ochre card so that you can work on work for the doll. Sign up on Centrelink and come every day to the Centrelink and sign up, and which disabled everybody. If I would have been there that time, or I would have said, I am a aircraft maintenance engineer, and I'm sure that I would have been told, no, you, you won't be needing this anymore. You need to sign this work for the doll. That's how this intervention has crippled us, and it's taken authority and, and power of our people. I want the blanket of the intervention removed so that we can have that breathing space again so that we can be who we are, so that we can be human beings to maintain the future generation. So this is what we have been fighting for. This is why we have been fighting for. Since then, uh, when the Stronger Futures came through and I met with elders who were starting to talk about, let's try and work on this and let's try and petition the government to stop this intervention, to stop this stronger future. It is just disempowering our people. It has just taken powers of our leaders. So I started working together with them and we started to form a Yoruba Nations Assembly. Yoruba Nations Assembly, which we could advocate with the government. And during that time, uh, 2006, 2015, uh, the elections were coming up. And I said to myself, maybe I'll try and get a bit higher where I can start advocating with the government. So I decided to run on the 2016 election and um, I won on the platform of treaty. And that's how I got here. This is not something that I want or enjoy working, but I had to be brave to stand here, to, to come up here not knowing where I am heading, but I'm, I'm just standing here to call, stop that uh, blanket of the intervention and roll back the stronger futures and the policies, the uh, 
colonial system of looking after, trying to stand all over us. We want to be who we are, and we want to see where our people are going into. We need the government to step back, and we need an apology. Today, we need an apology for what has happened. This is not an area, this is not the people we want to be. We, we can think for ourselves, we can determine for ourselves, we can create things for ourselves, and we can work and understand. We would rather want to make that a pathway. Let's Palanda and Yulmo work together. Let's Palanda and Yulmo make a pathway where we both walk together alongside. We, we had our 10-year anniversary of the Northern Territory Emergency Response back in 2017. And here we are in 2020, three years under the Stronger Futures. We've got another two years and then we'll have a review of where the policies for us will take us. It's very hard to see where our youth is at the moment. I feel heartache because our youth get into trouble because there is nothing. There's no programs for them or leaders who are there. They don't have good role models because they're forever watching stuff on YouTube about how to be a gangster and all like that. It's it's very disconcerting of where our youth is heading. You just have to look at our suicide rates. You know, it's it's very hard. I was speaking to my grandmother last night on the drive back home and I asked her the question, how do you see our youth? Where do you think they're going? And she said to me that there are no role models for them. They're in this predicament of where they want to have their culture and be who they want to be and be themselves, but they are also told to just stay down there. Don't move. We'll do everything for you so you can be run amucks and just not have a future we'll take that future for you as the stuff on my homeland out at Utopia, opera itself has become the hub town there is no funding for the 16 homelands to get new houses what they're trying to do is push us into that hub town still to this day so that they can do mining there is this whole gap between our First Nations people and our non-First Nations people. But that's not our non-First Nation people's fault. I don't blame them at all. What I blame is their government and their policies. I, I do believe in the treaty. I believe that we need to have this treaty. Constantly to my grandmother, I've said, where we are now is not a good place between First Nations people and non-First Nations people. And until Australia grows up, we're not going to get very far with our government because time for talk is over. It really is. There is no communication with our government who can come to the table and sit with us. You just have to look at what Vincent Lingiari went through. Look at that walk off. And where are we today? We're still there. Not much has changed since my elders' days. There might have been minor changes to our lives, but worst of all, it's changed for the worst. You know, we just had Greg Marks talk and Stephen Gray talk about statistics and what had happened and then all of these reports coming in, going into both territory government, federal government, but then these reports and commissions, reviews, 
they've all just probably swept past the eyes of all these parliamentarians over the years, over the last 13 years. Like Uncle Harry said, you know, we've had five prime ministers, four to five prime ministers, no one's taken any notice. Over the last 13 years, you know, from 2007, I was a very angry and emotional person around the policies and how it was affecting our mob. Not only us in the northern, in our major town centres, Alice Springs, Tennant Creek, Catherine, Darwin, and, you know, up at Nullumboy because they're the major town centres that services our communities or our homelands. But they also, our mob, travel in and out of these town centres or service centres. So, you know, when it first came out, I, all I thought was of my grandfather, you know, was my initial thought is how is he going to understand the legislation? And then knowing that he's caretaker and living out on my homeland that I got handed back in 1988, straight after the Barunga Statement was handed to Bob Hawke. I began to realise that if we're going to keep protesting, you know, you're going to have that other element in our society saying, you know, we don't need protesters or you've got an opponent that's going to feed false lies to the rest of Australia saying, you know, there's no police brutality there's no child abuse happening in our communities. Well, for a fact, we know that it's happening. We know that being part of the Royal Commission and looking at children being abused in the detention centres or in and out of home care, and we've been very diplomatic, you know. So I, I'm in a position now, you know, with the Central Land Council and also still with Tungajira Council and just speaking up on issues that affect our mob and how governments and agencies can help our mob. And, and I am a big, strong believer in constitutional change and supporting treaty because if we were added into the constitution and we had our rights to our culture, our language, our land, the intervention wouldn't have been in place and it would have, been, it would have had to be been a block. But I believe there are people out there that are willing and caring, compassionate people that are able to help and stand up for people like myself or people like our elders out in remote communities or on homelands. Even to this day, you know, we're still talking about how there's no jobs for people out there. It was all taken over by the Shire when CDP was scrapped. Our housing situation is worse than ever. And I sit, you know, as a co-chair for Aboriginal Housing NT, and we talk about housing issues all the time and trying to get better housing conditions fixed for our people. And in reality, there is no such thing as an Aboriginal person living as a nuclear family. It will never happen. It's just like when the coronavirus kicked in, you wasn't going to separate us by isolating us because that wasn't in our culture because we're family orientated and we're people of gatherings. So we were actually safer at home in our with our families than being isolated, you know, because we don't know isolation unless we've gone to jail or we sit down in hospital for a long time. So education, the statistics on education is right because I work as a youth worker at night and I know for a fact that a lot of our kids on the streets here in Alice Springs don't go to school. And it's pretty sad that they can adopt another culture but yet our youth aren't educated enough to be caretakers and take over their grandfather and their grandmother's roles in their communities or out on country. And it's sad to say there are no programs or there's no support mechanisms in place for our elders and our leaders to start teaching our younger generation to become those elders and leaders in the future. 
So, you know, wherever I can, I stand up for what is needed and our people actually need to be recognised and our people need to be listened to because if no one listens today, who's going to listen in the future? So it's, it's the best thing to start teaching our kids or our next generation about what had happened in the past because what's going to happen in the past is going to just keep continuing until somebody gets it right and until we get the right people in Parliament. And people like our member from Nulamboy, he's doing the right thing, you know, and people are starting to talk, but we need to, might have to start listening to our member from the top end. And, you know, if you get people like Uncle Harry who says, I've been there before, I've been fighting the fight for so long, generations after generation, and yet here I am still today, living in the same community where nothing's changed. And I've got to say, you know, out of Utopia, you still have people living in tin sheds and whatever material that they can find. And I know that because I've got family out that way as well. And when you look at the current situation with the coronavirus, it was really hard on food security for our mob in our community stores because we already know with the intervention the food prices went up, so people are still buying a lot less for a high price of food, you know. So the high cost of living out in remote communities has not helped our mob close the gap on health. A lot of our mob are still suffering with diabetes, heart problem, kidney failure, the lack of identity when it comes to being somebody who belongs on on country. You know, we get so much racism in this town. We're we're the biggest high-populated police town in let alone Australia, but, you know, in in the Territory. And after what happened last year with Kumanjay Walker, it was really hard to try and have those conversations with the police because... It's going to take a long time for our mob to start trusting police again. You know, they came in with the army in 2007 and yet they can't focus on trying to keep our kids at school, you know. So when it comes to a lot of issues that affect us, Black Lives do matter because we need a roof over our heads. We need to keep our kids out of jail. We need to keep our men and women safe from family and domestic violence. You know, we need to make sure there are proper food security for our people in remote communities and we need to close the gap on our health and our life expectancy. And the government is not going to do that alone unless they start listening to us and working generally with us. And I've had these decent conversations with Federal Minister Ken Wyatt. So, you know, I I believe that he is a good understanding person and, you know, I've got to take my hat off to him because he's the first Aboriginal person who's ever had this role and we should be having these genuine conversations with him and he needs to start listening because in WA they were having all of those community closures and, you know, suicide is also affecting Aboriginal people in WA, you know sacred site damages, all of that kind of stuff. So, yeah. I'd like to read some of the things I've written down, could take a note. The result of the intervention, how it affected my people at the end of the The intervention was sprung on us without warning. With no consultation, a lot of lies were told about our communities. Pedophile rings, violence, rivers of grog and dysfunctions. Five prime ministers later, they never took the lies back. The little bit of self-determination we had 
they took from us. We no longer have a social council, local council, I beg your pardon. The council is run from Alice Springs. A big mob of white fellows came and they run everything for us. These outsiders don't talk Walbury and don't understand or respect our culture. It isn't easy for locals to get a job. Most repairs and building is done by outside contractors. Lots of new rules. Biggest lot of money ever spent on Yundamu was more than $7 million to build a new police station. We've got more police than ever and more people in jail than ever. The welfare mob keep taking children away. Don't respect our extended families. White bosses don't respect our elders. Our children see this and also lose respect in us. Everything is done in English. We have no say in running our own lives on our own land. It is like we are under occupation by a foreign power. What is the situation like in Yundamu today? Nothing much has changed. They keep tightening the screws. They're trying to turn us into white fellows. <laughs> we are proud Walbury people. They have no right to control us like they do. We want our local council back. We want our houses back. We want police to respect us and stop wearing guns. We want self-determination and respect. We want to run our own lives again, our way. We want the government and the media to stop lying about us, lying to us. We want them to listen to us. Only then will we listen to them. Thank you. That's Walpree Elder Uncle Harry Jackamara Nelson. You also heard from Walpree Elder and Chair of the Walpree Justice Committee, Uncle Ned Jumper-Jimper Hargraves, Founder of the Central Australian Aboriginal Strong Women's Alliance, Auntie Elaine Peckham, Central Australian Youth Leader, Amelia Pangada Kunath-Monks, Yalnu Elder and Member of the NT Legislative Assembly, Yingya Mark Giula and Barbara Shaw, who is a member of the Intervention Rollback Action Group. I'd also like to take this moment to acknowledge Sabine Karcher, who pulled together many forums on the NT intervention and provided a space for the voices that we've just heard. Sabine was a founding member of the Stop the Intervention Coalition in Redfern and sadly passed away recently.